I think the Saints are undervalued. They were a top five defense by virtually all metrics last year. They didn't really lose anybody off that defense this year. They had a ton of injuries along that O-line, didn't have any receivers, didn't really have any quarterbacks, and they still almost made the playoffs. I think they definitely have a shot to potentially win the NFC. I mean, it's a, it's a wide open conference, and it wouldn't shock me if they if they got there. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and with the NFL schedule out, I couldn't think of a better guest for a deep dive from a betting perspective than handicapper Cleve T.A. We've got him as our guest this week. T.A., welcome back to Props and Hops. Hey, Matt. Good to, good to talk to you again. I appreciate it. It's uh, always fun. Uh, it feels like every few weeks there's a kind of new milestone in the NFL calendar, <laughs> even though the season's over. It's it goes from combine to free agency to the draft and now the schedule release. So we kind of got all the information, um, you know, at our fingertips now to kind of dive into some futures and, and to the upcoming upcoming season. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And to give people some background before we dig in on what's to come in the NFL, you made your debut appearance here last summer. That was a great two-part conversation. We had episodes 51 and 52 if people want to learn more about your background. We also reconnected on the podcast leading up to wildcard weekend in January, and you broke down what ended up being my favorite prop of the year, Debo Samuel rush yards over against the Cowboys for so many reasons that you broke down, that was just an awesome bet, even if it didn't win. I loved the process there. I think that's exactly why I love to bring people like you on the show. And now in front of us, again, we've got the schedule and some bets to look forward to for the season to come. So, T.A., as we turn the page to the NFL schedule release and, and what we're looking at in the aftermath, what would you say are some of the top factors that you look at once the schedule comes out from a betting perspective? Yeah, so I think there's there's been a lot more um, in this space in terms of analysis from a schedule perspective. I think um, you know my former colleague uh, Warren Sharp is he, he really breaks down the schedule you know to kind of dissects it as much as anybody. Maybe a little bit uh, overkill to be honest because I don't know if there's as much actionable information um, as it seems. I mean, it, on paper it sounds good to kind of break down all the rest advantages and disadvantages, but you know, in the scheme of things from, from what I've read and seen, um, you know, from a game, game to game perspective, there's not a ton of, um, you know, advantages or disadvantages, but I think from a cumulative rest perspective, especially late in the season, I think that's when you start to see it. Um, and maybe it's not as quantifiable uh, from that perspective, but I think it is, you know, it's good, good to see some of those, um, some of those metrics, just if it does, you know, kind of tip the scales a little bit one way or another from a, especially from a rest standpoint. And it's just interesting to see how um, the NFL schedule makers, um, you know, if, uh, some of the advantages they give teams a little bit more than, than others and disadvantages and, and how that plays out. But um, for me, I mean, I think from a schedule perspective, it's it's uh, you don't even need the schedule release um, for, for my, you know, um, actual piece of it. It's really the um, strength of the schedule because you just need to know the opponents um, and using the current win totals that are out in the market 
to help you get a, a little better idea of what the strength of schedules will be for each of these teams. I mean, using the kind of outdated um, uh, uh, final standings from last year doesn't tell you the story. Doesn't tell you the story since there's so much turnover. Um, from a roster perspective from year to year. So using win totals at least gives you a better idea. Now that doesn't, you know, strength of schedule is actually incorporated in those. So it's, it's a little bit of a circular reference there. So it's not perfect, but it's better than what we, um, what we go off of last year. So um, I think that's an important factor. And, you know, looking at really uh, the outliers, the teams that have, that, that go from, you know, maybe one of the easier schedules to maybe one of the more difficult schedules and vice versa. I mean, th those are the teams that, that I kind of look at and see if there's, you know, other uh, avenues um, that make sense uh, to attack their, from, from a win total from a future perspective. So, for example, you know, we could talk about um, this, you know, in, uh, um, in a little bit, but like Washington, for example, is a team that, you know, I think is flying under the radar a little bit from a potential division uh, standpoint and a win total standpoint. And they went from the toughest schedule in the NFL last year. I mean, if you saw some of the the names I'll point out here um, uh, is pretty brutal. I mean, they played the Bills. Um, they played uh, Tampa, the Chiefs, Dallas, obviously, multiple times. I mean, the, the schedule was – they played the Chargers. I mean, it was absolutely brutal, worse than the NFL. Uh, this year, they're expected to have uh, one of the five easiest schedules. So you never know how it totally plays out. But, I mean, I think that has to go into your handicapping um, when you see such a big flip like that. So you could have the, the same exact team come back um, you know, year after year, but, you know, if, if you get that extra, you know, um, advantage with the schedule, uh, that obviously could help your, uh, help you win maybe an extra game or two. So, so that was really a big thing. And I think specifically for when it comes to, you know, how the schedule was laid out, I mean, uh, using some, um, some information, um, I get from a, a database that, um, you know, can really break down some of these trends. You don't want to bet any of these trends blind, but, Really, where I see the advantages and disadvantages is later in the season um, when it comes, especially when it comes to the bye weeks. So teams that are, um, you know, favored on the road off of a bye historically have done you know fairly well. Um, I mean, they're hitting at 62 uh, percent clips since 2007. Uh, and, the, and the opposite is true for home teams off of a bye. Um, they have not performed nearly as well. I think they're overvalued in the market. Um, just in general. Uh, and, and it doesn't make sense when, you know, you're kind of in that vacation mode, right? And then you are still at home the next week. You're still kind of stuck in that, that, that vacation mode. Whereas when you go on the road following a buy, I think you're a little bit more mentally focused and it's, it's kind of back to business. And I think that, um, especially when you're favored, you're the better team too. So you're supposed to win in general. So I think those teams have a better advantage. Uh, in general than, than home teams off of a buy. So I think that's one area to, to take a look at. And you'd have to obviously project uh, who you think is going to be uh, a road favorite off a buy. But, um, you know, one team that, uh, you know, sticks out for me, for example, one game are the Chargers in week nine at Atlanta. Uh, I, I think I was going to ask you about that one. Yeah, that's that's one that really stands out. And, and you know, I also look at um, one kind of specific area of, you know, one specific trend, I guess, um, on top of all, you know, that I've just mentioned is um, home teams off of a buy who are under 500. So a, a poor performing team, a bad team late in the year, right? So it's kind of, uh, it's already too late in the season. They're, they're struggling. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, they get their buy. They're kind of fat, happy. They don't really want to go back to work when they don't have a lot to play for. Those teams really have struggled. 
um, lately. So those teams, so teams that are, like I said, under 500, home team off a bye after week eight, so second half of the year, in the last 10 years are 18 and 42 against the spread. So 30%. Um, against the spread. And that's that's another one where the Falcons would fit, right? Week nine, if you think that they're going to be under 500, I think everybody uh, assumes that. Uh, the Chargers will be uh, coming in uh, as a road favorite. Like that is a, a perfect spot. It's like the bullseye um, historically for a team that should just smash there. So uh, those are a couple of things, I think, just fading the, the bad teams at home off a of bye late in the year and backing the good teams off of a bye um, on the road, I think are really, um, you know, what you want to look for. Um, just at least that's what I look for, um, looking ahead to the season. And, and when we get to those, <laughs> get to those games, those, those lines might've been adjusted by then, but you know, if you could hit them ahead, ahead of time, that might be something to look for. Yeah. And if it's something that you're looking for, I think your track record speaks for itself. A lot of this audience would be, you know, inclined to look at some of these same things. So, a bit to unpack there. I'll summarize a few of my key takeaways when it comes to rest, especially late in the season, that can become magnified. So generally, as a default, maybe looking toward road favorites off a of bye and being wary of bad home teams coming off a of bye. And when it comes to strength of schedule, not going off of last year's one loss record, but instead comparing the strength of schedule based on a team's opponent's regular season win totals, which are now available basically everywhere, and looking specifically for big jumps up or down in strength of schedule. So there are a couple things I'll follow up on based on teams that you specifically mentioned. First off, you touched on Washington in the NFC East, and I found that intriguing because I feel like there's a bit of push and pull when it comes to rest and strength of schedule. From a rest standpoint, you mentioned your former partner in crime, Warren Sharp, I heard him on this week's Even Money podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik talk about Washington late in the season having four opponents off of mini buys. So that would be teams not off of their scheduled buy, but coming off of extended rest Thursday night football into the following weekend, basically getting a week and a half of prep time. So that seems like a rest disadvantage for Washington that could be meaningful. Again, like you touched on, this is late in the season, so that might matter more. And at the same time for Washington, a nice jump down in strength of schedule. So their opponents this year looking like it'll be easier than what they faced in 2021. How do you reconcile those kind of conflicting factors when we look at rest versus strength of schedule for Washington's 2022 outlook? Yeah. And I, I don't know if he, he quantified, you know, the effect of some of that, like I said, it's hard to quantify some of that um, kind of cumulative rest disadvantages when you get late in the year. Um, now, to be fair, they're, the, the issue that he's discussing is the opponents have a little bit more rest, but it's not like Washington is on a short rest, right? So I would be more worried if Washington had played, you know, multiple games in a row on short rest or were playing, you know, a Monday, you know, a Monday, Sunday or a Sunday, Thursday, uh, you know, two out of the three weeks or something like that. I'm more worried about the team uh, being tired themselves than the opponents having a little bit more rest, if you can, if that makes any sense. Um, but in general, I mean, I, if you look at the the Washington schedule, look at the early part of their schedule. I mean, they can they can clear their win total. And what I'm really um, looking at is the win total. I've got over eight wins at plus one ten. Um, you can get that at uh, Bet Online. I also have plus four fifty to win the division, and I don't think it's going to take a ton to win. <laughs> Obviously, we know the NFC East is. Um, probably the weakest division in football. Um, you can probably win the division with, with 10 wins. So 
Uh, look at the early part of their schedule. They've got Jacksonville at home at Detroit. Uh, they got the Eagles at home, and then they go to Dallas. They got the Titans, who I think is everyone agrees is probably going to have a, a down year. Um, and then they go to Chicago. So those are they've got three of the worst teams in the NFL between Jacksonville, Detroit, and Chicago right off the bat in the first you know six weeks. So you know if you could go four and two there um, and start off. Um, with a really nice cushion, then all you need are a couple more wins to hit that win total. Uh, so, you know, maybe it won't even matter once you get late in the year. You might have already hit that uh, that win total. But um, so for me, it's it's uh, it's really the schedule flip. So like I said, they had the toughest schedule in the NFL last year. Now they have maybe the, uh, I think it's the fifth easiest um, overall. I, I look at, they had two games last year, if, re, if you recall, there were complete wipeouts because of COVID. I mean, that Philadelphia game, um, you know, was moved to a, I think it was to a Monday night um, after everybody, essentially everybody on Washington had COVID. I think they had like 18 guys on the COVID list. Uh, they lost that game and then they had to go to Dallas the next week on a Sunday night, again, missing a bunch of guys and just got absolutely throttled. I think they lost by like 40 points. Um, those were just two throwaway games that, you know, hoping that there's no COVID this year. Uh, knock on wood. So, uh, you know, you don't have that effect. They lost uh, Chase Young, obviously. It was a big injury for them. They lost Logan Thomas, their best tight end. They, you know, missed a bunch of games with Curtis Samuel, who they brought in as a free agent. Um, hopefully all those guys are back. They add uh, Jahan Dotson. They really needed a second wide receiver opposite Terry McLaren. Um, so hopefully he can provide, um, you know, a good opposite receiver there. Uh, Samuel hopefully will play this year. Um, and defensively, really, their, their big regression for me is going to come on third down. So this is a defense. You know, one thing I look at during the season, and I tweeted about it too, because the first half of last year, they had the worst third down defense versus expectations that I have ever seen. I went back uh, about 20 years. I couldn't find a worse third down defense in the first half of the year than what they were posting. And this is a team that was a pretty good defense on early downs. And so you shouldn't have that disconnect, right? Like if you're going to be bad on third down, you should be bad on early downs too. Like there's no reason that you should be good on early downs, but then really be historically bad on thirds. That's that some of that is luck. Some of that is, you know, miscommunication in the secondary and all those sorts of things. So, um, and we started to see a reversal of that midway through the season and I actually backed them a bunch of times and they went on like a four or five game win streak. If you recall, they, uh, they beat Tampa, the, you know, at home, they went uh, on a Monday night, they beat Seattle when Russell Wilson was back. They went to, to Las Vegas and won that game uh, They beat the Panthers. So they started to, to get better defense on third down that kind of bad luck regressed and they started to win some games. And I think you're going to see that continuing into this year, hopefully from a, from a, uh, you know, I, regression of, of luck standpoint. So that's one thing I think that uh, will improve. Um, I mentioned the, the COVID issues. They were 26. And when you look at adjusted games lost due to injury uh, and COVID, um, according to football outsiders. So you'd hope that would re revert a little bit. And I'm not a huge fan of Carson Wentz. I and mean, we talked about it last year when I faded the Colts going into the season. Um, I'm not a huge fan of him, but look, they, they had Tyler Heineke last year, who was a bottom, uh, bottom six, seven quarterback from an EPA perspective. Um, you're not going to get worse quarterback play than him. So you hope you just get mediocre quarterback play and all of that. Plus the schedule, I think can, can get them to, you know, nine, 10 wins potentially. And no one's talking about them. So I think there's value there. I think the, the Eagles are a little bit overvalued and Dallas is always overvalued. So I think you're, you're getting a little bit of, um, of extra, 
extra value on, on Washington. So those are a couple of reasons that, that I like them. And I think that, um, you know, that would offset some of the, the late season, uh, you know, scheduling, um, I guess, issues for them. Like I said, they won't be tired. It will be the opponents that are a little bit more rested, which I, I like more than vice versa. Couple quick follow-up questions for you. We can make these rapid fire before too much of the audience thinks this is becoming a Washington Commanders podcast. Oh, but no. you mentioned plus four fifty to win the NFC East. Is there a price floor if people like your logic there and they're shopping around to get down for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think um, once you get to the three hundred, so you know, three twenty-five, I think is kind of a, a nice cutoff there. Um, so you got plenty of room. I think that number will come down. I, I think there are enough. Uh, smart handicappers out there that see a lot of the same things I see. So um, I think that will bounce, bounce down eventually, but I think you've got time to, to pick that up. Um, but I think that's a nice cutoff point when you get to the, you know, the three twenty five spot. Got it. And with regard to the regular season win total, you mentioned over eight plus one ten. I'm seeing that at one of the prominent offshores that you cited. I've also heard, especially in conversations with um, a friend of the show and, and somebody we've both done some work with, professional better Las Vegas Chris finds a lot of value looking at alt lines with regular season win totals. In fact, he cleaned up with alt unders on Washington last season. Not necessarily any guarantee that he's looking to fade them again this year. I don't know what he thinks of this year's commander squad, but if you're looking at over eight plus 110, are there any alt lines you might consider as well? if you are thinking that Washington is a team that could make a run and win its division. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, cause I think 10 is doable. I would look at, you know, if you can get a nine and a half, I don't, I don't know what that is offhand, but um, you know, if you can get a nine and a half and, you know, over plus 200, I think that's definitely worth a look. Um, but that would be, I think that's a nice cutoff. Like I said, I, I think just winning the division, I don't think you need 12 wins to win this division. <laughs> it would shock me if that's the case. Right. So, um, you know, you could kind of, you know, at, at, at plus four fifty, um, that to me is is almost better value. Um, now maybe they can get there as a uh, wild card because the NFC is so um, so weak this year. So maybe that does make a little sense. But um, you know, I haven't really done a ton on the alternative line perspective. I know others have. I know Will Capper has talked about it in the past too. He's another guy who who likes that. So. Um, I will definitely look into that, um, but I haven't seen any specific alts that that um, that I could recommend at this point. Fair enough. Well, that'll do it for this week in Washington. But another <laughs> team I wanted to touch on that you mentioned, the Chargers going to Atlanta off their bye in week nine. And this is a game that's already up, at least at DraftKings. I think some other books may also have uh, most of the season posted as well. I'm seeing the Chargers laying six and a half in this one. And that's interesting to me because seven, aside from three, is the most key number we get. And it is very plausible to see the Chargers going off as laying at least a touchdown in this one. Okay. I know there's also a consideration for some betters about tying up bankroll for several months and, and possibly having better utility to invest that money elsewhere. But when you consider the whole equation, any initial thoughts on Chargers minus six and a half at Atlanta with that subtle edge, the Chargers making this trip back east for the early kickoff but doing so off their buy. Yeah, I actually, w I had not uh, seen the line out yet. And if you would have asked me, I would have said anything under seven would be worth a look. So at six and a half, that makes total sense. I mean, I could easily see this by a time, you know, if Atlanta, um, you know, look at looking at their schedule. I mean, they, they do have, um, they do have a tough schedule. I mean, they got the Saints and the Rams and the Browns and Tampa and San Francisco and Cincinnati. I mean, they could easily be, 
you know, one in uh, one in seven or two in six by then. You might have Desmond Ritter at quarterback, you know, midway through um, if they make that change. So that line could easily get to eight and a half, nine uh, by the time we get to kick. So I definitely, if, like I said, I, I don't do a ton of specific game uh, look aheads just because you're either limited uh, in terms of how much you can put on, put on it. And, you know, there's so much that can change from here. I mean, Justin Herbert gets hurt in, in game one and you're just, you're sitting there with a, just no. an awful, <laughs> with an awful number. Um, so, you know, I don't like to do a ton, but if there are, you know, that is like one specific one that I think does make sense just because it's under a key number of seven. And I could easily see that closer to eight, nine by the time we get to kick. So uh, that would be one I would definitely recommend. One of the first Chargers games I looked at when their schedule was released, aside from getting Atlanta and that East Coast trip off the bye, was Cleveland in Cleveland week five. And that was a bit of a sigh of relief for me as a Chargers fan. I know that's the first big test by the looks of the Browns early schedule. A lot of question about whether Deshaun Watson is going to be able to play come week five. Uh, I know that neither of us has that answer. It's above our pay grade at this point. But for the Chargers, it was a relief knowing they had to go to Cleveland. At least they're doing so early in the season when weather is less likely to be a factor. As a Browns fan, when you see you know a warm weather team coming early in the season, do you give any thought as to wishing that the Chargers drew you know a December or January game so maybe the elements could play more of a role? You know, I only look at that when if it's a. I I care more about that if it's a dome team, um, more than a West Coast team to be honest, and. M- more so who the quarterback is, because when you have like, you know, a Drew Brees who had a weaker arm, who was in a dome, um, you know, or a quarterback who has smaller hands, you know, playing in a dome or warm weather, you know, Jared Goff. So I should, I should take that back because I did care about Jared Goff when, when he was on LA going to uh, cold weather uh, or wet weather, he's notorious, you know, he's got those small hands notorious for, fumbling a lot more in, in colder and in, in wet temperatures um, and struggling just in general. So a situation like that, I would care about, I mean, a guy like Justin Herbert who came from Oregon, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be worried about cold weather, to be honest. I actually think he's perfect for the elements. So in that case, I, that wouldn't bother me as a charger backer at all. Um, just because he's got such a cannon of an arm, it's kind of the Josh Allen factor. Um, whereas if you had Phillip river still, that might, Annoying, you know, that might be an issue because his arm arm strength obviously wasn't the greatest towards the end of the of his career. Um, you know, the the Rams with, with Matthew Stafford wouldn't, wouldn't bother me as much uh, again because of his arm. So I think it depends more on the quarterback um, than anything else. And like I said, I think I think Dome, you know, might matter a little bit more because you have perfect elements for at least half your games. Right. Um, and, you know, a guy like Matt Ryan might struggle a little bit more. Um, cause he's just so used to the dome, I think. So, um, I mean, you still get wind when you're in the West coast, right? Like you still get some, you know, on occasion you do get some kind of sub, you know, 60 degrees. It's not like it's, it's totally uh, hot and, and 80 degrees every time. So, um, I, I think it's more about the quarterback to, than anything. Understood. Well, I have two teams I want to ask you about quickly before we get to the bottom line on your futures outlook at this stage. And that would tie back to a little bit of a Twitter debate you got into last week regarding the Bengals and the Chiefs. (laughs) And I think it all boils down to how much weight people put behind two head-to-head matchups last year versus the much bigger picture in the grand scheme of things. And I was really fascinated looking at that thread because 
it was such a strong example of how people can take the same information and reach wildly different conclusions. Wondering as it pertains to Cincinnati and Kansas City, if you could explain that debate a little bit from your perspective, as well as your own point of view when you look at those two teams matched up with one another. Yeah, I mean, I think... (laughs) You know, so so there was a writer. He's a really smart guy. I, I don't even want to uh, mention um, who it is, but he's a sm- smart guy, and I've I've you know seen his tweets in the past. And I was kind of taken aback by you know he's a Bengals fan. It's, uh, I mean, obviously, um, and so he's not very objective, which bothered me <laughs> to that to some degree. But he was trying to make the case that the Bengals are essentially a, um, a Super Bowl. I don't even know if you want to call it a favorite, but. He, he, he expects another deep run. Um, and because they, you know, their biggest weakness was offensive line and they addressed that free agency and their, and his quote was uh, something to the effect of, we already know that they're better than Kansas city. And he mentioned, I think Tennessee mm-hmm. and another team that they beat, um, you know, and I just like shook my head. Like, what do you mean you're already better? Like, I didn't understand that. How could you say that uh, Cincinnati is already better than the chiefs? When, if you look at the current win totals and you look at the, you know, to win the Super Bowl, win the AFC, like the, the Chiefs are 2x um, greater of a, um, in terms of the odds to win the AFC, uh, the Cincinnati just didn't make much sense to me just because they beat them twice. It sounds, sounds dumb when you say it out loud, right? Oh, they beat them twice. So, um, you know, uh, it doesn't mean anything. But in reality, we know that sample size matter. We know that, um, you know, if you would have played those games maybe 10 times that the Chiefs, might have won, you know, seven or eight times. And it just so happened that the two that the, the Bengals would have won, uh, they actually won. Right. I mean, people forget that Kansas City was, um, you know, leading by two touchdowns in that game in Cincinnati in the regular season where they lost. They lost both left tackles, by the way. Well, if you remember, Orlando Brown got hurt in, in pregame uh, and then the backup got hurt in the first quarter. So they were down to their third string there. Uh, they had uh, I think it was um, Travis Kelsey was just off of covid, too. So a lot of things went against them. They went into Cincinnati, blew that lead, fine, and they lost. And then in the AFC title game, again, Kansas City famously up, uh, what, three touchdowns at halftime or two touchdowns at halftime and should have been three. And, you know, Cincinnati came back into their credit. One. I don't think you can use the, those um, two games as a way to say, oh, well, now Cincinnati is better. Like, okay, maybe they can beat them again on a neutral field. But to say that they are better when all the markets – that you can bet into uh, say completely opposite, I think is just, it's just, a, um, it's not reality. And so that bothered me, like just be objective. If it's your team, um, it's no problem to say that the Cincinnati is, you know, uh, has got a great quarterback, a great young quarterback, and obviously a great young receiver and Jamar chase. And they deserve all the credit for getting to the Super Bowl last year, but that team needed a lot of breaks. Uh, they had no injuries really at all last year. They, they had no COVID outbreaks at all. Um, they won the division and then they go and they had to survive a goal line stand against the Raiders in the wild card game. They had to survive what nine sacks from Joe Burrow um, to beat the the Titans on a last second field goal. And then they obviously, um, you know, played tough against the Rams, but I don't think that's a sustainable um, formula for them to automatically get back to the Super Bowl. Um, and I don't think free agency is, we know that's fool's gold and yeah, they might've on paper improved at the offensive line, but let's see that play out. Um, and let's see them play a tougher schedule. They had the six easiest schedule in the NFL last year. Um, they actually have between the, the schedule last year and the schedule expected this year, 
the biggest change in strength of schedule expected in the NFL. So let's see all that play out. They may end up being a slightly better team, but you know, win the same amount of games and they may lose in the first round. So um, that's all my point was, is, is you, you can be a fan and you can say that they have a shot to, to win it and they're going to be competitive, but to say definitively that they are better than the chiefs just because they won two games last year and that they somehow deserve to, to be the favorite in the AFC, the way it was being portrayed really bothered me. So that, you know, it probably bothered me way too much than it should have, but, uh, but yeah, that's what, that's what that thread was about. I think the main takeaway there is that things are rarely as black or white as they may seem. And just because we've got a matchup between two teams where you can make a very compelling case using the betting market as evidence that one team is clearly superior is no guarantee that that better team is going to win any, you know, one or two sample size matchup of head to head games. And then on the flip side, just because a team beat somebody else once or twice, it doesn't mean that they are, you know, that's the mic drop argument that they're better overall and you can't ask any other questions. So nothing's a guarantee in this business, but at the same time, looking at the bottom line here, it does sound like you've uncovered some actionable angles with regards to your outlook for futures and other bets. As we look ahead to the 2022 NFL season, Uh, how would you describe your portfolio to this stage or any other bets that you're considering making between now and the season kicking off? Yeah, I, I, besides the Washington uh, play, I do have one other in the NFC. I just took a 20 to one shot on the Saints to, to um, go to the Super Bowl. Um, I, I'm going to look at um, to make the playoffs as well. I think they're plus 150. <clears throat> That's another one that I would take a look at. And really, I haven't hit that one yet, but um, I probably will once we're done here. I think the Saints are undervalued. Um you know, they, they were a top five defense by virtually all metrics last year. They didn't really lose anybody off that defense this year. Uh, they added the Honey Badger at safety. Uh, they added Marcus May, who's a good veteran safety as well. So I think defensively, they're going to be really good. And we know that they're, you know, essentially Tom Brady's uh, kryptonite, right? So, um, you know, two games that could be, you know, penciled in as losses, you, you never know there um, against Tampa. So I think they'll be able to compete, uh, obviously, in the division. Uh, you got Carolina, Atlanta, who are two of the worst teams in the NFL. So, you know, you've got some um, kind of cupcake wins potentially there. But, you know, like I mentioned, they were 14th in DVOA uh, overall, and they they had Jameis Winston for, what, five, six games. They had Ian Book for a game. They had, you know, Taysom Hill for a couple of games. They had Trevor Simeon for a bunch of games, and they were still middle of the pack when it comes to some of the advanced metrics and almost made the playoffs. They get Jameis Winston back, who, by the way, was playing really well uh, in his limited time. And he was doing it with literally no wide receiving core. Um, I mean, Marquez Callaway was his number one receiver. So you hopefully get Michael Thomas back. I mean, who knows? It's a question mark, but, you know, he's expected to be back. You drafted Chris Olave from Ohio State, who's a big play threat at wide receiver. Uh, they just picked up Jarvis Landry, who's a good veteran kind of intermediate receiver. So now you go from essentially no good wide receivers to three right off the bat that can really help that offense. Now they lost Taron Armstead, Armstead at, at left tackle, but he only played eight games. You know, it's not like, um, you know, he was, you know, there all season and they have, you know, they did draft Trevor Penning uh, in the first round. We'll see if he he pans out, but at minimum they have James Hurst, who was one of the better um, uh, rotation left tackles in the NFL. Uh, he filled in nicely last year. 
And again, the, their offensive line missed a ton of games just outside of Armstead. Ryan Ramchek, who's, who's obviously a great right tackle, he, he missed seven games himself. Eric McCoy at center missed six. Uh, Andrus Pete missed 11. So they had a ton of injuries along that O-line. Um, and again, didn't have any receivers, didn't really have any quarterbacks, and they still almost made the playoffs. So I think that it kind of shows that, that this team is, is good enough on defense and has some of the other parts to compete. And you know, obviously if their offense is even halfway decent um, and that defense um, stays in, in the top 10, I think they definitely have a shot um, to win uh, I mean, to potentially win the NFC. I mean, it's a, it's a wide open conference and it wouldn't shock me if they, if they got there. Uh, but at minimum, I think, um, you know, making the playoffs is, is a good bet here. So um, those are a couple of things that, um, that I like from the saints. And I think they're going to start to see, you know, I think between having them at, at when they were at 25 to one uh, at one point and the Eagles were 11 to one to, to win the, the NFC just made no sense to me. I think those, two numbers should be a lot closer to each other in kind of the mid-teens. Um, so we'll see if, if that convergence continues here. I think it's down to 20 to 1 now. So, um, so yeah, the Saints are uh, a team I like from the NFC. As you talk about reasons you like the Saints, we've already talked mm-hmm. about one matchup to consider fading the Falcons. I'll throw one more out there. Um, looking at Week 15, the Saints still a five-point favorite at home hosting the Falcons. This line currently available at DraftKings, and I've got to give credit to the Hitman for flagging this on last night's Twitter space for Bet Prep. Um, we're recording this the afternoon of Wednesday, May 18th, for reference. So that was the Twitter space Tuesday evening. Um, again, Saints minus five hosting Atlanta Week 15. Basically, um, you know, from a regular season win total standpoint, it seems like a lot of sharp betters have been looking at the Saints over and the Falcons under. And at Sharp Sportsbooks right now, week one, the Saints are laying four and a half, and that number appears to be climbing. That's a game in Atlanta. So if we flip home field advantage, I figure the Saints should probably close north of a touchdown. Again, Hitman laid this out very well. And I feel like it's an example of, you know, if we're trying to teach a man to fish, not just give him a fish with a pick like this. Um, books that do list every game when the schedule comes out, it can be very beneficial to compare lines between divisional rematches relative to the first game of the season because a lot of early season games, again, Saints at the Falcons week one, those are getting hit, but oftentimes the rematches don't get adjusted properly and that can add a lot of value to a rematch, especially if a flip in home field advantage isn't fully priced in. So TA, any thoughts on the Saints minus five against the Falcons in New Orleans come week 15? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great catch. I have, like I said, I, I barely looked at some of these look aheads because um, the site that I can get on <laughs> doesn't have them. But um, no, that's that's I mean that's a great point. Like if you do the flip, it really should be you know even if you if it, we know home field advantage is lower now than it used to be, but even at you know two two and a half uh, home field, you know, that should be you know closer to nine, right? So there's plenty of value there um i would definitely take a look at that i think that's it's a really good one um and i think week one um is an interesting case as well um at only four so i, I think those will probably both head north <laughs> if i had to guess um but that's that's a really good one i just think the saints are uh, people will point out to the sean payton not being there and yeah that's not you know you'd rather have him there but dennis allen coached one game last year it was the uh, Tampa game on the road on Sunday night where they, I think they, sh- would they shut out Tom Brady? Um, they, they blew him out. I know that. So uh, anyway, he's got experience. He was a head coach with the Raiders for one season. So he does have experience. I- I'm not as worried 
um, about the loss of Sean Payton, maybe as some other people. So um, definitely a team uh, that, that has a chance to compete, I think. Plenty of time between now and the season kicking off, but I think we've got a nice six pack in the portfolio with today's episode. If I can run this by UTA to recap um, some of the bets that we are eyeing, if we're not already down on them, I think good for the audience to at least give some consideration to first off Washington plus 450 to win the NFC East. Good in your book down to plus 325. Also Washington over eight regular season wins plus 110 consider an alt line of nine and a half over good up to plus 200 or in that ballpark the washington handicap driven by a favorable break in strength of schedule a lot easier by the looks of it this year compared to last year a bet for the chargers uh to consider laying six and a half at atlanta week nine that's beneficial for the chargers from a scheduling standpoint because they draw that early game on the east coast off their bye so they should be much fresher than a west coast team typically would be kicking off in that environment and six and a half, a very key half point if that ticks up, and it quite possibly will once we get to this game kicking off. So charges at six and a half could be, um, you know, a, a good opportunity to lock in some closing line value for a few months for those who want to put the bankroll down now. And then three bets involving the Saints, uh, 20 to one to win the NFC. And as you were breaking that down, I just did some quick shopping on my own. I'm seeing them anywhere from 17 to one to still a 25 to one out there. That's a pretty big gap. So as always shop around for the best number, but it does seem like 20 to one, a fair consensus. Also the saints plus 150 to make the playoffs. And then rounding out the six pack, the saints in week 15 laying five to Atlanta lay those points before this one probably closes North of a touchdown. Um, that one available at DraftKings as we speak, any thoughts TA to round out that portfolio. Now I got one uh, player future. If you want, uh, if you want that, yeah, so I did post this a few days ago, so you can go on my site and take a look. But I did take a, a flyer on Jalen Tolbert at 40-1 to 1 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. I like to take one longer shot, um, you know, with these kind of Rookie of the Year um, uh, futures, and especially in a season where there's really no quarterback that stands out since quarterback um, typically – uh, has a big advantage from a from an award standpoint, although it's a much heavier advantage when it comes to MVP versus rookies of the year. I mean, you see a lot more at running back and even wide receiver. Last year we saw Jamar Chase um, than you do in the MVP market, but in a season where um, you've got no, you know, you've got Kenny Pickett in the first round, but nobody else until the third round, and this is the first year and and, and only the second time since 1997 that a quarterback was not drafted in the top 15 of round one and both those seasons a non-quarterback won rookie of the year eddie lacy in 2013 work done in 1997 and obviously both those years were more run heavy uh, than we are uh in the current nfl where it's more pass happy so i think there's room for wide receiver and the reason i like tolbert is just a, he goes to a really good offense. You know, he's obviously got a really, you know, got an elite quarterback in Dak Prescott. He's got a high-powered offense that likes to throw a lot. They were uh, uh, 11th in the NFL in pass rate last year. Um, they were 6th in DVOA uh, pass offense. So we know that they're going to throw the ball around. They know We know that Dak is a good quarterback. And he's going to have the opportunity. Uh, Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson are now gone. Michael Gallup, um, who would normally be the number two wide receiver who they re-signed, is coming off of a torn ACL in January. I mean, that's typically a nine-month recovery. So you're talking at the earliest, um, sometime in early September, 
And that's, you know, who knows if he actually will play full go. It might take him a few games to even, you know, get all the snaps. So now you've got 165 targets between Cooper and Wilson that are totally gone. Um, the only guy that they signed uh, was James Washington in free agency. He's not really a, a big volume guy. Maybe he takes a handful of those targets, but there's going to be a hundred or so targets potentially available for a rookie like Tolbert. So he could step right into the number two wide receiver role. This guy is a, is an older college, you know, quote unquote veteran. He's 23 years old, He played 40 games in college um, at South Alabama. He probably would have been a late first round pick or early second round pick if he wasn't, um, you know, a little bit older, but for, for this purpose, I'm not really, um, you know, evaluating him as a long-term uh, uh, receiver in the NFL. I'm only looking for a one-year burst here. So I don't really care what his long-term potential is. I only care what he could do this year. And he's got – so he's, he's a veteran. He should be able to step in and understand the playbook quickly. He's got really good speed. He was a 4-4-9 guy. Um, he actually had one of the the, the best 10-yard splits uh, at the combine. He had an 8.6 relative athletic score, which is, again, one of the, the, the better – um, you know, speed scores you'll see out there. He had the third most deep catches in college football last year. So we know he can get down the field uh, and he's 10th in the, in the class in yak per reception. So um, he can break some tackles. He can, he can make guys miss. So I think you've got a good veteran um, uh, college receiver who could step right in kind of in the mold of a, a faster Keenan Allen when he came out. So he came, Keenan Allen uh, did not win rookie of the year, but he finished second in his class. Um, and he had a really good, obviously, situation with with Philip Rivers and um, with uh, with that offense. So I see a, a potential similar type of role for him to step in and, and play well right away. So I think that's a guy at forty to one. It may not be forty to one anymore because uh, I may have talked about it too much. Um, but um, but I got it forty one, and I think anything above, if you can get it thirty to one or more, I think it's it's a good good spot. So um, that's one that I think is is worth a look from a from a future standpoint. Got it. I'm doing a quick check to see. I, I believe I had seen him in the 40 to one range uh, earlier this week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like the caddy is out of the bag a bit, but we are still seeing 30 to one. So if you're comfortable with that as a price floor, then we can make that a cutoff that people can still find for themselves if they want to follow suit. I think yep. that's a good way to put a bow on a lot of actionable insight as we look ahead to the NFL season. It's crazy. It's still a few months from kicking off, but it feels like on the heels of the draft and the schedule release, everybody is just champing at the bit for the season to start. But in the meantime, I think there are some interesting topics we can think about to, in some ways, help prepare for the season to come. And TA, one hot topic in the industry right now that I wanted to be sure to touch on with you would be the notion of selling data versus selling picks. And for some background info, this has become a really hot button topic right now because Rufus Peabody is a professional better who's selling golf projections with Establish the Run. And in the past, he has drawn a hard line stance against selling picks. So there's a debate to be had about, you know, what does it mean to sell projections and data compared to selling picks? And for some context, I, I can't highly recommend enough last week's episode of the Vet the Process podcast with Rufus, his co-host Jeff Ma, and a guest they brought on, Rob Pizzola. I think it's a must listen because two of the most lacking things in the betting content space, if you ask me, would be nuance and respectful conflict. And those two things can't be missed in that compelling conversation. I kind of found myself agreeing and disagreeing equally with all three of them at different points in the discussion. And I think that's kind of the point at the end of the day. So I'd love to bring you on as a good person to talk about healthy conflict like this, because last year, for example, in the Sharp Football Preview, you made the case 
for regular season win total overs and unders for every team looking at both sides of the coin. And if I understand it correctly, you sell data as well as doing a lot with picks. So you kind of do both. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, and I think it's it's a good discussion to have. Now, I didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, the podcast. I have kind of seen people discuss it, so like, and and hearing your summary is good. Um, and so, um, yeah, so the, I think anyone reasonable um, would understand that there is a difference between kind of the old school quote unquote touts like a Vegas Dave um, and guys like you know myself or Rufus or you know ETR or um, you know even like someone like Fabian or you've had on your show, like guys who have a track record of success, who are transparent um, and, you know, give good information um, when they give out picks. I think there's a big difference between those two buckets. Um, I mean, obviously anyone who, uh, you know, touts that, that something is a guaranteed winner or that they never lose or that, you know, my 20 star max bet of the game, you know, of the week, you know, you could buy it this week. Like th- that is a clear, um, you know, scam. That's a clear uh, false advertising, false marketing. And we can make a, a total uh, distinction between that and, and some of the information that, you know, some of us uh, put out there. I mean, I know for me personally, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but, you know, I've, I've been giving out picks in the NFL mainly um, on Twitter for over 10 years um, for free. I, I've, I've been, I've entered the super contest at Westgate um, you know, pick five against the spread every week. I've done it, uh, did it with Circa last year. Uh, I've posted all of those picks as well, and they're all transparent. I mean, you can go, I mean, I have, it's not like I have a different um, username. It's the same, same as my Twitter handle. Um, and you can go and see, uh, you know, all the years of, of uh, re, you know, of returns um, and performance. And so I've been doing that for over 10 years and built up a following. And I think people respect and understand that, you know, I do kind of know what I'm talking about. And I do have a you know, there's no guarantee, but I do have a track record of success. And so I never wanted to sell picks ever. Um, and I still don't, I don't consider it selling picks and I'll explain why. Uh, but I've had people, I mean, for many years would just message me at the end of a season and say, Hey man, you made me a lot of money. You helped me make a, you know, be a better, better. Um, let me, let me tip you, or let me give you some, some of my winnings. And I'll say, no, like, that's like, I wouldn't be asking for, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't be giving you money if you lost. So I'm not looking to do that. Um, go, go send it to charity or, you know, go buy your family some Christmas gifts or something. So I never once even, you know, cared about that. Um, but, you know, last year I just decided I got a lot of feedback when I left, um, you know, Warren Sharp's group um, to kind of start my own uh, data site and give out information uh, more than anything. And so I decided to do it last minute. And so the way I've angled it is, um, you know, the average better doesn't just bet on the NFL, right? They, they do fantasy football, they do DFS, they do pick them pools, they do survivor pools, like all these other forms of wagering where you can make money in the NFL and you need data to help you, you know, make decisions on any of those different pools and games and, and bets, et cetera. So I think that the way I, I wanted the, my website to work is I wanted to go through every single game, every single week, break it down by, you know, the different matchups, different trends, um, you know, all the different advanced statistics and metrics that I can find injury reports. Like I go deep into injury reports. I don't just talk about the quarterback and the, and the running back who gets hurt that everybody knows about. I go, I talk about the left guard um, or some cluster injury in the secondary that no one knows about and who the back, you know, who the, who the backups are. Right. And so I, dig deep into all these games, all these matchups, 
even ones that I don't have a wager on. Um, and so I give actionable information to the subscriber. I let them decide you know, how you want to use that data. Do you want to use it to, to bet, right? A side that I'm on, which I will, you know, explain, you know, every bet that I'm on and why. Um, but you can, you can bet the same side of me as you want. You can um, take that information and make a decision with your fantasy football roster. You can go into you know, DFS if you're playing DraftKings and make decisions that way. You can, you know, your ATS pick them pools, you know, same thing. So I let the subscriber kind of take that information and make their own decisions. And so I think people appreciate that and they appreciate the, the way I look at uh, each of these games. Um, and it just serves different purposes for whoever the subscriber is and whatever they're looking for. Um, I would never just, you know, give out picks and that's it and, and sell that. Like, I think that's just a bad way to go. I don't think there's any, um, so you don't help anybody that way. And you don't, I don't think you really show your metal. Um, you don't show your work. Right. So um, I think I go about a little bit differently than, you know, some of the, the others that are out there and it definitely not in the tout world uh, at all. Like um, I'll put it this way. I think if I never, gave out specific sides or totals that I was on and I just gave out everything else, could I sell, still sell subscriptions? And I think the answer is yes, but I've had a, you know, I've had a track record of success um, picking games in the NFL and it's been very transparent for 10 plus years. And so people want to see that as well. And so I, I give that out as well. So anyway, um, I think that there's definitely nuance with, with the, with the, uh, the discussion here in the debate. I mean, I think as long as, like I said, as long as someone has a track record that's that's been out there, as long as someone's proven that they know what they're talking about, um, it doesn't have to be just wait, you know, betting, right? Because these lines move, and by the time if, if you're really good at it and you you have uh, uh, you build big enough following, um, you know, lines are definitely going to move, right? And so eventually, it may catch up where your subscribers wouldn't get the same lines, and then you kind of lose out on that, right? They're getting the worst of it. Um, and over the long run, that's, you're going to lose that edge. Um, that eventually could happen. But um, if, if they're using the information on all these other aspects of wagering and making, uh, you know, making uh, money in, in different pools, et cetera, um, then I think there's, there's still plenty of room to go about it. So um, I just think it's, it's very clear who the, the bad guys are and who, who are the guys that are actually trying to provide good information that's, that's actionable. So that's, I guess that's my little rant. I like the overarching point that transparency and good information are really the keys to all of this. There is one quick follow-up I'll throw your way uh, because I think it's where some people have taken Rufus to task and I'd love to get your perspective on it. Um, so you mentioned that you don't sell picks. It's more your analysis and you'll include who you're on, but that's not what you're advertising as part of the package necessarily. But if I, I go to your site, I see at the very top lifetime, 56% ATS record in the NFL since 2013. Also the highlights from 2021 performance in circa millions, regular season ATS and totals, your playoff record, NFL draft props, showing how many units you're up and what your records have been with some of those categories. And I've got to think if somebody's paying for your analysis and they see these records and they see your picks, they probably think that they themselves are buying your picks. So how do you reconcile that difference if there is a line to draw in the sand between selling data and analysis versus, you know, just more overtly selling picks? Yeah, like I said, I mean, and if you go, um, I did have it up, so maybe I moved it, but it's it's in my archives. I do go through uh, full write-ups like this is what, um, you know, write-ups will look like I, I have. Um, I give out for, for uh, most of the season free kind of Thursday night 
football write-ups. So I let the audience see this is what you're getting. Um, and, it, and it breaks it down by, you know, pure analysis, by uh, play call tendency, by trends, by the injuries, by DFS, you know, DFS angles. And, you know, I, I break it down by all these different things. I can't really um, quantify analysis, right? Like I can't say, <laughs> um, you're going to get 800 words of, of analysis. I just can provide examples. Um, but you know, obviously the, the, um, no one's going to take your analysis seriously unless you have results. And so those are really the only, the only way I can go about it is posting the actual results. So, um, you know, I, I think anyone who goes to the site and reads the, reads the write-ups will see the amount of work I put in. And I think, for me personally, uh, I, I got so many DMs this year at the end, just, just thanking me. They didn't care about the results. They didn't care about the ATS record or anything like that. All they cared about was improving their process. They loved the fact uh, uh, that they learned differently you know, how I thought about some of these matchups and games, and it was different than what they had ever seen before. And so it made them better from both you know, a betting perspective, but just an, uh, how they analyze NFL games. And I think that's, you know, that was really appreciative of that. Um, and I think, you know, people that followed uh, a good majority, it's not going to be everybody, but a good majority of the people uh, understand that's the value here. Um, and so, you know, that's really all I can do is just I could post the results because that's all I've got along with examples and then let let the uh, subscriber make uh, make that decision. So, you know, and I do this on the side, you know, this isn't a full time gig for me. I have a real job. So. I can only put so many resources into um, this analysis. I mean, I was putting 35, 40 hours a week into this site while working with a full, you know, I have a full-time job in finance and taking care of a family. So, um, you know, I wanted to be compensated just for the amount of work I was doing. It's not really, I'm not making, uh, you know, uh, retirement money here. This is just, um, you know, kind of paying myself to do the amount of work that I'm putting in this uh, for people. So, you know, eventually I might uh, have to stop because I just don't have the bandwidth for it. But people were asking me to do it. And I thought that, you know, um, it could be helpful. And, um, you know, I, I, I also I think it's funny, you can't quantify this, too. But like there are people that are in so many um, kind of local pick them pools themselves that no one even talks about. And these are some high stakes pools. I, I just tell you, I know people that have told me what the entry is and what the, the payouts are. And there is no sort of like, okay, eventually the market's going to catch up, right? And, and the lines are going to move. No, no, these are these are pick them pools that are worth a lot of money that that you know people don't have that same access um, to the resources that you know one entrant might have if they use my analysis, right? And I think I can, in general, I'm better. And just from an average an average Joe perspective, I should be able to compete at the top of most of these pools, right? So uh, there's a lot of money to be made by people. Um, doing these things that are not public. So, um, and there's a lot of them out there. So that that's a kind of an untapped market, I think, um, within the industry that no one really talks about. Um, and so I think that's, that's where I think a lot of my uh, value is from a subscriber standpoint too, um, is being able to kind of reconcile my analysis with some of, you know, some of these pools that, that no one ever sees. So um, you know, I, I think there's, if there's a, I'm not a marketer, if there's a better way to put, to post uh, this analysis in a way that doesn't include actual results, I would love to do it, but I don't know how to do that. So this is kind of the best I've got for now. Yeah. You make some good points. And I think a big one earlier, people thanking you for the process, not just the result. I think there's so much to be said for that. 
very fair point about wanting to compensate yourself for your time. And uh, when I push back a little bit with that last question, I want to make it clear there are very few people in this industry who I'd say I have more respect for than you and Rufus and the work that you guys crank out. So want to make that clear as can be. And uh, I know we're, we're going to wrap this up here. So um, usually I follow up with a question on the Malinsky Minute. But I think one of the biggest takeaways was his ability to have difficult conversations and keep his composure and respect for others and meet anybody on their level, uh, regardless of the subject. So if we're talking debates like, you know, who's better, the Chiefs or the Bengals, or, you know, what are the ethics of selling picks versus selling data? I'm reminded of a quote from the book Noise that I recently read by Daniel Kahneman and a couple of his colleagues. And the quote says, we're all reasonable people and we disagree. So this must be a subject which reasonable people can disagree on. Now, I have my doubts about people who think the Bengals are better than the Chiefs, uh, you know, whether those are reasonable people. But I do think it's important to think outside our own bubbles and try to relate or at least understand where others are coming from. So, T, I want to thank you for bringing that element to the conversation. Yeah. And, I, you know, I appreciate the conversation. I will say I've never, um, you know, publicly disagreed with anybody selling data or good information from people that, you know, I think we all know are, are good, um, that provide good information. Um, I just think like there, there's a clear distinction between some of the things that we're doing and, um, you know, uh, Vegas Dave, like I keep mentioning his name, but th that type of um, kind of old school tout, I think there's a, there's a clear delinea delineation um, and there's no false marketing. So I think, um, you know, I think reasonable people can understand that there's a, there's a difference there. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, the industry kind of evolves because um, I'm seeing more and more of it, right? Like really good, the solid analysis that's out there, um, you know, compared to what we've seen in the past. So, um, you know, let, uh, I guess, let each you know reader subscriber um, decide on their own and hopefully, hopefully it's a value add for sure. Absolutely. So uh, one pillar we didn't get to, we'll get more to it next time would be the hops. Let's just say if somebody is in your neck of the woods going to a Browns game, I can recommend from firsthand experience, Great Lakes Brewing Company, not too far from the stadium. You can uh, get some decent options there. And if you're in my neck of the woods about to see the Chargers or the Rams at SoFi, Monkish Brewing, not too far from the stadium, a really good bet. So we'll leave it at that for now. TA, want to be sure to plug your work so people know where they can follow you if they're not doing so already. On Twitter, at CleveTA, that's C-L-E-V-T-A. Also your site we just discussed, cleveanalytics.com. And I want to wrap this up by thanking everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take just a few seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So TA, thanks for your time. I'll be counting down the days until the season kicks off. And I hope we're seeing eye-to-eye -eye often, but not always this season in the spirit of that healthy conflict. And I'll really be embracing our conflicting rooting interests when my Chargers take on your Browns in Cleveland come week five. Should be a great game. Hopefully uh, we get full rosters for that game, but I appreciate your time, Matt. Thanks. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm